0: All right, so we're joined here today by Anna Pugh. Anna, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do.
1: Hi, thanks for inviting me to the podcast. It's really exciting. I've been listening to quite a few of your podcasts previously. Um, I'm Anna. I'm an audiologist hearing therapist. I've been a hearing therapist for over 30 years. Hearing therapy works with people with additional support needs as well as hearing aids. So we do lip reading, communication, auditory training, rehabilitation, Um, so I've been working in the private sector in the statutory services in in our NHS which is our national health service a little as you say like your your VA Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, in the voluntary sector as well I'm currently working in the private sector Um, so it's across all three sort of aspects in the UK where we deliver hearing services and hearing health care.
0: Yeah, that's great. And so, um, you know, obviously as an audiologist and an audiologist based in the UK, Anna provides a really interesting perspective. I talk a lot about, you know, on this podcast about ways in which the technology is evolving and some of the ways that I think that ultimately will impact, um, you know, the hearing aid patients of today. Um, But I'm not in the field and people like Anna are. And so it's great to have someone like her come on and really provide a perspective as to, you know, like how this is all really starting to take shape in terms of the evolution of the hearing aids and in the ways in which that's starting to impact um, patients in a new way. So before we go into that, Anna, why don't you tell us a little bit about, you know, like, Obviously, in the U.S., things have been evolving at a rapid pace um, from a legislative Mm -hmm. standpoint Mm -hmm. too. You know, new ways that um, with like the -the Over-the-Counter Hearing Aid Act, there's going to be just new avenue points in which people can access these types of devices. Can you share a little bit about, you know, say like the last three to five years in the UK and then into the next three to five years as things are going to be changing, like the overall landscape? Can you give us a picture of what all has sort of transpired and, and where this is headed in the UK?
1: yeah i th- I think that's interesting because the u k is is has a, a very particular model seventy over seventy percent of hearing aid sales um in the u k are through uh, hearing aids um, from the manufacturers sales mm. are produced through the NHs so the nhs the the national hearing a- service provides uh hearing aids free on loan to people um and it can be all adults. So anybody over over the age of eighteen, generally people over fifty, to be fair. And hearing aids are delivered free on loan. They tend to be um, the standard um, open fit uh, BTE models. Mm -hmm. Although some departments have additional funding and can provide different options, but it tends to be the, the the simpler. Technologies, um, as I say, the NHS provides over seventy percent of the, the hearing aids that are worn in the UK. So in the UK, it's it's a very different uh, field where we would necessarily think that hearing aids are worn because people buy them. There is there is a, an issue around ownership and hearing aid wear. Only one in three NHS hearing aids are are worn. Um, and that's not necessarily because people have to buy them because they're they're free on loan, but it's the value that they place on their hearing. And for audiologists, getting people with a mild hearing loss, getting people early enough in their their hearing journey and their hearing healthcare journey is really really important. And that has been changing in the last three years. The NHS have had to um, pull their 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 services. To a great extent, there's been something we call in the UK austerity processes, which is cuts to services and funding. Mm. So uh, hospitals and health authorities have had to look very carefully about who they can distribute healthcare to. And to an extent, that's been shown in hearing healthcare that there's been limits to who the eligibility criteria for free on loan NHS hearing aids. And that has impacted significantly Um, the the major audiology uh, organizations supporting professionals have made campaigns to try and increase the awareness of of hearing loss and the impacts of of mild hearing loss on uh, communication and isolation, particularly based on people like Barbara Timmer's work on mild onset hearing loss and those kind of things. Um, and it has made some difference, but there are still some health authorities whose eligibility criteria have changed dramatically. So most people in the UK will have had NHS hearing aids or at least had an NHS hearing test before mm-hmm. they come into the private sector and until they look at something different. And obviously within the private sector, we can offer more modern and up-to-date technology. In fact, the newest technologies, which are bluetooth which are receiver in the canal technologies um rechargeable technologies all of those kind of things so those those kind of services tend to be only available in the private sector
0: Mm.
1: whereas in the us when you get otc whilst that that's over-the-counter hearing aids that's going to make the the product different and there is a there is an issue with the product and the Um, rehabilitation aspect and perhaps we'll talk a little bit about that later but just the delivery of the product aspect for the NHS people will have most people will have tried an NHS hearing aid before they come to the private sector so they will have had some experience of, of amplification
0: Got it. So when you go, so like the way that you're describing this is most people, they enter into the call at the funnel um, via, via the NHS. And then at some point they then move to the private side. What's usually the catalyst that pushes them toward the private side rather than just staying within the NHS?
1: Yeah, quite often it's it's the service level. It's mm-hmm. the support that's available, the, the ongoing rehabilitation support. The NHS are unfortunately very limited that they can't necessarily offer long-term ongoing rehabilitation. There are some hearing therapists in the, in the NHS, but they're, they're pretty few and far between. Um, sometimes it's, it's the product is, is very simplistic and people want, uh, more advanced technologies. Certainly Mm. we're finding that people are aware that there are Bluetooth connectivity hearing aids there are rechargeable hearing aids they're asking for that so they're coming mm-hmm. to the the private sector for more advanced technology
0: and, and, the, and a,
1: a more modern technology
0: yeah no that makes a ton of sense so is the private side is there any type of um like in the u.s one of the big things is that there's not a whole lot of insurance uh coverage around hearing aids and so therefore it's a really it's a pretty steep out-of-pocket cost that's yeah, typically cited as one of the big limitations in, and reasons why the penetration rate is as low as it's kind of historically been. And that's why people are saying, you know, that's, that's one of the arguments for OTC is that, you know, maybe this will help more people acknowledge that, okay, I need to treat this and this is a good starting point. So let me ask you though, with mm. the NHS, as opposed, I mean, with the private side, is there any type of government funding that you can get or is it pretty much no, all? No, no, no. It's yeah. Yeah. yeah
1: that, that's what the NHS is for. So gotcha. the, N- the NHS will provide a basic model um, of, of service delivery. Mm. And then if anybody wants anything additional, then that's the, the funding, the, the payment, private payment issue. And yes, that's quite often cited as a, as a reason not to, not to purchase hearing aids because they are, for many people, prohibitively expensive. Mm. Um, there are there are cheaper avenues less not cheaper less expensive
0: mm-hmm. avenues
1: these days with more um large companies providing sort of more more accessible options yep um but in general it it is a, it is an issue i think the 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 move towards separating product the the, the actual hearing aid to the rehabilitation, to the service, to the support, to the assessment is certainly what what's required. And I think that's something that we can talk about again. Um, and I know that you talked about with with Jeff Cooling recently, mm-hmm. and I'm presuming with with other audiologists that you've you've spoken to.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think you're so I one thing I want to say to this, like, so a really interesting I, you know, thought that I've been thinking about is, you know, so With the NHS, you've just described that you get, you know, you get these free devices, but you kind of get a bare, bare minimum service Mm -hmm. and you get a bare minimum with the technology. And for a long time, um, you know, there's been this argument uh, in the US that, you know, whenever we look at the hearing aid penetration rates, we say, well, you know, look at Europe, look at... um, Japan. I don't know what uh, the situation's like in Japan, but I know that a lot of the time these two markets get cited because they have these free devices. But after talking Mm -hmm. to you for a little bit, you realize that what's actually happening, because the penetration rates are similar in places like the UK as they are in the US, they're pretty low. So even if you have these free devices um, and you you give this offering The problem, I think, is that the value proposition still isn't strong enough. And the reason being is that, you know, we're talking about something that it's an acknowledgement, I think, in many people's eyes, and this ties into the whole stigma, is that, you know, I'm old. Like, that's sort of the notion, I think, that people have to accept. And that's something that a lot of people are in denial about. And if you're not going to provide a really high quality service and uh, you're not going to provide the types of devices that are available today, even if it's all free, uh, I just don't think that's all that compelling to people. And and so for me, that makes a whole lot of sense as to why these um, two markets, even though it's perceived that, well, in the UK, you can get these devices for free. You know, when you get a little bit of a better idea, you realize that I would imagine it's not all that compelling for a lot of people, even if they really need um, that hearing assistance, they aren't perceiving it as something that is, a need to have for them. I,
1: I think you're, I think you're exactly right. And I, I think there is such an issue still with, with stigma and mm-hmm. with being old. And I, I still get patients saying I'm not old enough for hearing aids yet. Yeah. Um, you know, it's uh, okay, dear, but you're sort of 84. I think you're probably, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we start talking about, you know, we start to lose our hearing at 47 and all on average and all of those things. But it, Mark Track and Eurotrack and other other um, sources have have delineated that it's not necessarily the 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 cost proposition. It is the value proposition. It's the how much value do people put on their hearing loss? <laughs> um, we always cite the, the the Helen Keller quote about eyes and ears and those kind of things. But it it is that people don't place much value on the, on their hearing. Um, And I think that that will change when you you were talking earlier about going forward. I think that, that hearables and certainly my generation, I'm up, I'm six, I'm in my sixties now. So my generation are more used to technology. We're expecting a high level of technology, Mm -hmm. but we're more accepting of technology. So I quite often will have earbuds in my ears. I will quite often use different technologies. So that, it it will become a lot more acceptable. Um, It will become a lot more usable. And I think the more ordinary hearing aids or hearables or the technology becomes, the more ubiquitous it becomes, the more easily adopted it will become. The fact that hearing aids look like hearing aids Mm -hmm. and, you know, whoever designs them (laughs) has never (laughs) had to wear them. Um, (laughs) You know... there's a fact that hearing aids look like hearing aids and people don't want to you know it's still the stigma i mm-hmm. don't want to wear hearing aids on so saying that i mean there are groups who talk about being proud to to wear hearing aids and mm-hmm. and they they decorate their hearing aids and they show off their hearing aids that tends to be a, a younger population and a population who have grown up wearing hearing aids whereas the majority of people that i meet are people with an acquired hearing loss that happens in adulthood gradually who really don't want to be old and don't want to appear to be old. And I I, always say to my patients, mishearing and getting things wrong makes you seem older than just shoving a bit of kit in your ear.
0: That's excellent point. And I think you're spot on. I, I tend to think that, I don't think the stigma is necessarily around the like the notion that you have a disability as much as it's a acknowledgement for many that they're old and I think that is I think that is a really hard reality like regardless of where this goes in the form factor at the end of the day acknowledging your own mortality is something that no one wants to do and so we're talking about you know stigmatizing a device that is more or less in people's eyes representing um this like next phase of their life that's just closer to yeah. death and that's really uncomfortable. And,
1: and we have to take some responsibility for that because if we as audiologists and and hearing therapists and, and people in in the hearing healthcare aren't talking about hearing loss happening gradually and happening when you're in your your 40s and your 50s totally. if we're not talking about it then Mm -hmm. then it suddenly becomes a big thing when you're in your seventies and your eighties. Whereas, Mm -hmm. you know, we should be catching people early. We should be talking about it as part of, of, you know, the natural progression of of life as a, as a woman when you go through pregnancy, puberty and and the menopause, when we talk about work noise, when we talk about diabetes, when we talk about all of those kind of things, we should be talking about hearing loss as part, natural part of the process of, of who we are rather than waiting until we get to a certain age and go, Oh, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) death.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting. Like, the way that I think about this is the reason I'm so adamant that hearables are a really good thing for for this industry. But, like, just broadly speaking around the stigma is that if more younger generations are adopting, say, AirPods, and ultimately you create a user base of hundreds of millions of people and you're creating all kinds of new applications and stuff, literally designed for an in-the-ear device. And then as a secondary you know, byproduct of that, hearing aids can take advantage of all this. I tend to think that like in five years or so, when there's tons of new capabilities and tons of new reasons to wear an in-the-ear device, we're moving toward a point where you can wear something that looks like a hearing aid without necessarily having to acknowledge or... Um, give off the perception that you're wearing it because your hearing loss is deteriorated and and more or less acknowledging that you've gone old. It's more like, well, I'm wearing this because it's got, uh, you know, my voice assistants in there and all these biometric sensors, like I need to monitor my blood pressure for hypertension and like all these different things that these devices can ultimately do. And it's just like, oh, and by the way, mine amplifies as well. Mine's a hearing aid. And down the line, who knows what these things are all going to look like. You know, they might all start to blend and take different shapes to where you know, AirPods might look a whole lot like hearing aids or hearing aids might look a whole lot like AirPods where you get this, you get to the point where everybody's wearing something in and around their ear and nobody really knows why everybody's wearing them. We've just sort of become accustomed like, oh yeah, that's like they're in the ear device that they wear. And I feel like that can be because then you're never having to necessarily wear something that is representing like I'm old. It's more like I'm just wearing my ear worn device. And I think hearables will be one of the main drivers for that because it's like the idea of like a computer in your ear and, and building all the functionality around that. It gives a rise to this like whole new way in which we perceive these devices, which is a whole, a whole lot more utility than a single function device. Like you know, a traditional hearing aid prior to the Bluetooth connectivity. I, th-
1: I think I think you're so right, and I think that's that's really really important, and I, I that's why I'm so involved in in what happens mm-hmm. with voice because I think it's really important. I think that's certainly the way forward. The way the the way that we use voice in other settings other than the home. Once we start to use it in the community, once we start using it to use Google Maps while we're walking along the road rather than totally. looking on our phone whilst we're doing all of those kind of things, I think it becomes more accessible. It comes more every day it doesn't become a huge issue. I think that's that's really the way forward and that's why I'm really keen on on talking to people and, and listening and making sure that when they are looking at that, they are thinking about hearing loss within that that concept when they're thinking about using noise reduction and all those things and and what uh, what people call ambient environments, all those Mm -hmm. kind of ecologies are really, really important.
0: So you mentioned Jeff Cooley a little bit earlier. And one of the, uh, one of my favorite parts of that conversation was when we, you know, we were talking about like this idea where um, you, you know, the server, the the whole business model flips from being, you know, widget based sales where you sell a few devices uh, at a high margin um, it moves more toward a service oriented one where the volume in which you see people goes way up. And he talked a lot about like these ideas of like service packages. So yeah. can you speak to ways in which you kind of see like, um, cause I agree with Jeff. I think that mm. the, the key asset that, uh, providers have is their expertise. And I think that as the market becomes more saturated with options, um, there's going to be a it will create a rising demand of expertise. You'll need help to actually navigate this landscape. And I Mm -hmm. think this idea of establishing a relationship early on, that's why I think it's important that um, providers like really look at OTC as a way to maybe just, create a relationship with somebody and get them in the door, you're not going to necessarily profit off them initially, mm-hmm. but these are people that you can build a relationship on. And it's, again, this it's this idea that your hearing loss doesn't really ever go away. It's a matter of how do you mitigate it? How do you preserve it so that, it you know, you can live into your seventies and your eighties. And even if you have a loss, it doesn't get a whole lot worse than when it was 50 and you were starting to really treat it. So I would love to get your perspective on like how you see the provider evolving in terms of the ways that they can provide new types of services, or even just re-emphasizing some of the things that maybe need to be better communicated to the public as to like this is what a hearing care provider really does, and this is why you should involve me in that process rather than just try to do this on your own.
1: I, I I'm that that speaks so much to 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 what I spend a lot of my time ranting on about. To be fair. Um, <laughs> To anybody that will, that will stand still and listen long enough, um, <laughs> one, of, one of the things that's really important is that we, we need to, to think that audiology is, is a long game. Um, on average, people wait seven to 10 years before they do anything about a hearing loss. So we've got that population that are thinking that I might not hear very well, but they're not ready to do anything about it because they don't want this stigma. They don't want this hearing aid. So that's why I think all these new technologies will will tap into that 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 group of people. I think that 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 um, there definitely has to be a, a separation between the product and the service and the support and the assessment and all of those kind of things. And I always say to to students and everybody that you know, as audiologists, we need to change. We need to address this, mm-hmm. otherwise we're going to go the way of the typesetters. <laughs> and just to just to sort of say if people don't know what a typesetter is um when the printing press commercially was first available in 1450 um they had typesetters and you couldn't imagine having a book because obviously it moved from handwritten manuscripts to the printed page and nobody could imagine not having books and Mm -hmm. we still have books but we don't have typesetters anymore totally because you know it's all done automatically and even though we are qualified professionals if we put all our eggs in the product basket we are losing we you know we're going to be obsolete we're not going to be needed so we do have to address how we can support people by auditory training by assessment by support by encouraging and enabling people to use their technology as soon as they start noticing that they're not necessarily always getting something a little bit of augmentation Mm -hmm. um, not necessarily hearing aid but a little bit of augmentation early on will help people develop the the skills and the encouragement to recognize their hearing deterioration and and work from that and so that's certainly something that i'm very keen on and as a hearing therapist that's really my stocking trade you know we use hearing aids as an accessory as an augmentation rather than the the core of of what we do so it 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 really is it is it's moving that into audiology in the mainstream that we mm-hmm. need to become those professionals, and in the UK, it's very difficult um, because of the the model that we have—the NHS or the private sector—and and, and near the twain shall meet quite often, unfortunately. So it the 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 private sector business model is quite often predicated on this this product sales, mm-hmm. and I think that's I'm, I'm I'm concerned that that's not a sustainable business model going forward. Um, it, it's, I think it's going to last for, for at least until it will see me out, but I don't think <laughs> you know, for my students and, and for people that I talk to all the time, I don't think it's a sustainable model. I think we need to be much more in the mode, in the, mo- in the moment to see mm-hmm. the, the advantages, the technology that's available and we need to, to make our space in that, in that environment.
0: Yeah, no, I, I, could not agree more. I love what you said about it being a long game. That's mm. really well said, and I agree. You know, I think that um, I think that you know, there's a lot of really smart hearing care professionals out there, and and soon to be professionals, that they'll figure out ways to adapt to this. I mean, again, mm. the 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 key is that they have this really what I perceive to be a in demand asset that I think is just going to increasingly become more in demand, which is their expertise. And so I think that the the next 10 years, call it, will be all about How do we figure out a way to reposition our business models so that we're really emphasizing our number one asset that is extremely hard for any type of online service, automated service, um, do-it-yourself service to replicate? And I think that is going to be just their general expertise of everything that goes into this. And like you said, you know, I think that... if, if this can be, you know, uh, whether it be OTC or it just be new service-based models that are geared toward helping people to just get started on this journey, if I think you can get people in the door way earlier than that seven to 10 years that you cited, if it's more like people look at this and they wait only a couple years, and maybe some of this is driven by the technology because they're intrigued by all the cool new stuff that these devices can do, but also intrigued by the idea that, you know, I can I can establish a relationship with my with my hearing care professional that's gonna just more or less guide me through this. And I don't need to necessarily worry about this. You know, this doesn't need to be something that's super top of mind for me because I know that I have an expert that can really help to navigate me through all this.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I I think that's right. And I think we we need to we need to sort of differentiate between hearing which mm-hmm. is what we can do with the technology and listening and communication skills and and separate them out and perhaps we need to change the language perhaps we need to change the approach and I think we need to use the technology um you know when we talk about the newer technologies that can identify falls and um, mm-hmm. um and biomechanical stuff it's all really important and I think that you know and we start to put ordinary voice technology into. Equipment that can also act as hearing aids um, you know i I think it's 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 really exciting. I think it will make a huge difference and I think as audiologists we need to position ourselves so that we're there to offer that that professional guidance and support
0: yeah could not agree more and I could not agree more. So thank you so much for taking the time. Come on today, share all your insight and your knowledge. This has been an awesome conversation. Uh, Thank you to everybody who tuned in and listened all the way through to the uh, end of the episode. That's all we got this week. We'll chat with you next time. Cheers.